Bootstrap Web, we are back for another week. Is this actually three in a row, Jordan? It feels feels pretty good. I like it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, we have uh, Twitter kind of doing the work for us for this podcast. We've got a bunch of uh, questions. I don't know that I would call these like technically like mailbag questions, but it's more like they're like helping us come up with interesting topics to, to riff about. So yeah, I love it. Appreciate the help. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's some good ones here for us to kind of chew, chew on. See where it takes us. It's Friday. I'm in a good mood. I, I got a button down on, which I don't normally do. I, I did the whole, uh, you know, family photograph thing. Oh, uh, okay. The holiday cards. You're on that holiday card. I, I expect yeah. the card every year. I, I wait by the mailbox every single day yeah. in December uh-huh. for, for the gal card. Yeah. Yeah. You and several other hundred, <laughs> hundred other people. Uh, so we got, we got a beautiful day today and it's so much fun to like, you know, almost, you almost take a step back with the photographer and like watch like your family like posing and you're like wow look look aren't aren't I lucky <laughs> that's kind of the 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 overwhelming feeling is this gratitude nothing like bragging about your kids with some photos <laughs> yeah before we dive into it so next week i'm going to what what we call our no snow tiny comp trip out in colorado we started this last year so you know we've been doing big snow tiny comp every winter in in vermont and then in colorado and that Colorado crew, we we added a fall trip uh, in September, starting last year. So I'm doing that again next week. Dave Rodenbach is organizing it again. And instead of skiing and snowboarding, we're doing some hiking and, and mountain biking and talking business. Sounds one, great. One of my favorite things to do are these tiny conferences. I just can't get enough of them. It's just fun to go hang out with some longtime friends. But I've talked about this before, but it's just such a great exercise I mean, I literally, like yesterday, I spent at least half a day preparing my slides for a session that I'm only going to give to like 10 people. Right. But you're you know? thinking about it. You're but thinking. it's, but, you know, we, we get into everything that that's private, you know, um, just sharing it all, going, going deep, you know, get critical, constructive feedback. It's just so valuable. It takes hard work for me to prepare and gather up all the metrics and create a slide deck and frame my session and my questions and things like in a way that will be constructive so it's just a good exercise overall are are the sessions let's take for example the session you prepared for is that for you to present information and get feedback or is that for you to like teach other people on a topic i think when we started in the early days of big snow it was a little bit more like hey just share something cool that that you've done um there's a little bit there's a little bit of that it's like just showing but it's also like I think it's become since since we have the same people coming back year going on like nine years now, we are much more open with each other, and it's more about uh, I would call it more like a state of the union, almost like um like what like a shareholder letter or like an investor update email would be, but in the form of a conference talk where you're sitting around a like a ball or Airbnb uh, in a in a beautiful location. <laughs> That's how most of us treat it is like sharing our numbers, sharing the updates since our last trip a year ago, um, what's been happening over the last few months, key initiatives right now, and maybe some some big, open, hairy questions that we're dealing with right now. Yeah, it's a great opportunity, right? It's That's- a, I mean, it really, it's a session for like 20 minutes plus like 20 minutes of the whole group, mm-hmm. you know, kind of digging right. it, you know. And I'm sure the conversation continues when you're out to dinner and having a drink and, and taking a hike. And yeah, that's... It's so, there's so much going on in your own head while walking around during the day. 
to to have the opportunity to start sharing that sometimes I feel like I'm oversharing. I could just meet someone I'm like, yeah, you know, really, really struggling with this hiring thing. <laughs> like hungry, hungry for, the, for that conversation. Yeah, man. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into it. You know, today we've got more questions, so I don't think we'll get to all of them, but definitely some for future episodes. Where should we start? What do you think? I mean, I think you want to start with the tools <laughs> and I want to get it out of the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Maybe you, I guess, I guess we, we forget teaching. It's really just sharing how you got to the conclusion to use a certain tool, right? That that's kind yeah. of that where the value yeah. is. I think this will be probably a somewhat quick one, but I, I have noticed this thing where, okay, so zip message is, well, we're about a year, a little more than a year and a half into this company existing. Right. So, all of us sell tools to, to companies, right? If you can market and get your tool in their hands sometime during their that first year of the company, you have such a higher likelihood of, of getting in because once some of these tools are just so sticky, like I could I could already see how we're using Notion right now. It's gonna be can't leave near, near impossible for yeah. us to leave Notion in the future. Yeah, which you know? is it's kind of okay. Um, okay, so how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk about like an area and just very briefly talk about what we use yeah. and, and why? Yeah, so some people ask about tech stack. We can cover that. Maybe we'll t- cover like some marketing tools and whatever other ops tools we, we got going. How about tech stack? I know it's not your side of the business, but... It's uh, it's not, and I can't speak them that intelligently on it, but we we are a Laravel shop, as as we say. So that is our base, and we use a lot of tools in that ecosystem What's that admin called? Laravel, not oh, not Vapor. Laravel Spark? Is that, uh, uh, no, it's it's not Spark. But so so we use a lot of tools from the Laravel ecosystem as our like default. Like, hey, w- we want to build this. What what exists already? W- which is part of why we love it so much. Are, are you guys doing something on the front end, like a like React or Vue or anything like that? Yeah, we use Angular on the front end. Angular, okay. Yep. Yep, that was a decision from a few years ago, and our, our front end lead is kind of very good with it. And we effectively have we have multiple parts. We have the checkout that lives on the web, and then we also have the admin that the merchant interacts with. So we kind of have two products in that way, and each tool has its own stack. I've purposely kind of stayed away from these heavy front end JavaScript frameworks. I just have not felt the need to to add that much complication on the front end. Angular seems like the one that I'm hearing. It was huge a few years ago, and then I I hear less and less about it. It seems to me like React has sort of replaced it. But that's, that's but right. I I have not ever used React myself at all. I know Vue is is also kind of popular, but yeah, we are on Ruby on Rails. I love it. I love everything about it. Uh, I I feel like I'm going to be on <laughs> Rails as as long as it's a viable option. You know, back back in 2018, when I was like really deciding like which you know ecosystem to sink my teeth into and, and learn, it was either Laravel or Rails, and that that is still my recommendation to anyone if you're trying to learn back end, trying to learn how to build apps, like just choose Rails one of these. Or, yeah, or one of those two. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. PHP or Ruby. I mean, front end super lightweight. Like we use Stimulus JS, which which works really well with with Rails. I'm really heavy into using Tailwind CSS. I think that has been just an absolute game changer in in the web industry as a whole, but it's been so helpful in, I remember that I did not use it in the beginning of when I started ProcessKit, 
And it was like a year after that when I really got into Tailwind and I completely regretted not using it on pro. It, became, it made it so much harder to maintain and refactor and redesign stuff. Zip message, we can move so much faster, uh, not just building out new, new stuff, but the big thing is like refactoring with Tailwind is, is fantastic. Does hosting an infrastructure matter as much to you as it does to us? It it does. And this is something that I sort of keep an eye on in, in the future. I think it'll probably change over time in, in different areas. So we're still on Heroku for our servers and, and database. I expect that that will probably change at some point. It's not like an immediate concern, but we'll, we'll probably migrate to something else that in the future. AWS, we are heavy users on. We do uh, basically all of our processing there. We're using multiple AWS services to, to run ZipMessage. That too is something I keep an eye on, both in terms of costs and complexity to build stuff. So that too might might change at some point, but it's not an immediate, you know, not not in the near future. Yeah, yeah, we're we're AWS all all the way. How, how about on product? How, how do you manage your roadmap workflow? Yeah, so heavy into GitHub. GitHub is is the tool for us. All of our, I would say, there's there's two big project management tools that we use in the company. So GitHub is basically just me plus my developers. GitHub issues, we we use the Kanban view in GitHub to organize uh, everyone's queue and what's currently in progress, once what's ready to deploy and all that. And then we have like a separate board for bugs and then a separate board for, it's just called roadmap, which is like where we throw everything else that's for the future that goes there. And I sort of, I, that's where I play around and reprioritize things. And then, and then I move it into what we call our current board, what we're currently working on. And, and that's a heavy, uh, I'm in there all day long. Right. That's where you end up living most of the, yeah. And the other side of the business is is notion. Anything that's like not dev related is, is kind of organized and communicated in notion, including projects and tasks. Yes. Yeah, um, not projects for the developers. That's all in GitHub. Right, but, all in there. And that's the one that took me longer to adopt, like just even having anything in place in that area of the business. Like the first year, I, I had basically nothing because it was basically just me. Yeah, in your head plus roadmap. Yeah, in my head or even just like my own personal notes, whatever whatever notes, documents I ever want to use personally. Like I don't, I didn't care about collaboration because it's just me and I might be hiring a contractor here and there. but now I have a, a marketing team working with me day to day, and I needed a, a legit project management solution. And I tried them all. I tried every single one of them. Really? And Notion took so many different tries to finally click with me. And there, there are things that, that still frustrate me about it, but it is the most flexible. We can create Kanban views. I also like that I, what I use Notion a lot for, along with Claire in, in the company, is just kind of brain dumping new ideas for new marketing projects, just using just their, their page editor and lists and toggle lists and all that kind of stuff, just to like map it out. There's a lot of just like knowledge and strat, like a lot of strategic planning happens in docs there. So I like how flexible it is where you can go from paragraph to bullet points to task list, just and real fluid. You, there's no... Yeah. You don't need to change anything. You have to go to a different doc. It's just kind of a blank space. And, and we also we also heavily use databases in, in Notion for a lot of different things. You know, um, oh, like the like the Excel looking. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, the, well, while I'm still on Notion and project management, like 
we use zip message a lot too. So we link a zip message thread to a, a notion page or a notion project so that we have like a running async video conversation about the project that happens on zip message. And then we have it kind of tracked in notion, but then databases in notion we use for one is one that logs every, every person does a month, a weekly update where they record a zip message. Here's my weekly, like stand up what I did this week, what I'm working on next week, any blockers. They log that in a database and post it in, in zip message. I got this idea from Rob at MicroConf, a marketing change log, which is which was such a great idea. I can't believe I, I wasn't doing it earlier. Like marketing website change log or? Well, he called it a marketing change log and, and we use it mostly for that, but it's like an everything change log internally so that we have a running log. It's a database in Notion for any change that might affect a, a revenue graph. Like pricing changes, onboarding change. Every little change that if I ever want to look back in history and I see a little blip on a graph somewhere, well, what happened during that week? Oh, we, we logged the fact that we changed our pricing that week, or we logged that we pushed out a new feature update, or, or that we sent out an email newsletter announcing a new feature, or, or that we got a new mention on some big blog, or all that like stuff that. gets gets logged into into the change log. Uh, same thing with infrastructure changes too. I started logging those too, like like dev, because we we do server upgrades. We 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 change out a tool for this or that. Like it's good to to track the history of that stuff. So it's all in the same change log. We just categorize it with tags and yeah. I like that. That uh, that's clever. And and just recently, since we're talking about it, we could talk about like tools that we're using for analytics. Mixpanel is one of the many tools I'm using for analytics, but they have a really cool feature called like annotations or something like that. And I rigged up an automation so that anytime we add something to the change log in our Notion database, it automatically fires an annotation into Mixpanel. So you, can, you can have it on the graph. So and literally every graph that we ever look at in Mixpanel has every notation of what happened. You know. Well, I, I knew you were going to put me to shame in this conversation and, and this happened. <laughs> that, that is, that is very clever. Very cool. On our side, we are super deep in Jira and Confluence. That is where the entire development process lives. Everything from planning to current sprint, to change logs, to release notes, to features being planned, scoped, it's all it's all in Jira and Confluence, and that that's like, you know, that's our religion basically in the company. I know those are so popular, and I've never even touched those tools in any any work. I've just never seen them. They're they're popular in the sense that you like you expect that a ton of companies use them. And they're a little antiquated and old and annoying, but as long as everyone uses it, it's incredibly useful. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's us. And, and that's like, we have this ongoing kind of joke between myself and Jessica, our VP of product, because she's super organized and loves Jira and Confluence. And I always want to use other stuff. <laughs> Our company has a developer first DNA because we built the product for like 12 months before doing anything on the marketing side. So that's really that side of the organization. That's how I was with ZipMessage too. That's why I, yeah, like that's why I didn't even really settle into Notion until a little bit later on, you know? Yeah. For, what for what us, do you do on the, on the marketing side and like projects yeah. and things like that? 
So, so sales and marketing are still immature in in the organization. And what what we did there on sales is we used PipeDrive for a while, and that is just so flexible and so easy, and just get it started. You know, put a few integrations in, and boom, you're you're, you're going. We so that's were all we, over PipeDrive in uh, in audience ops. Cool. Sales. Yeah, that's that's what we did. You know, for maybe the first six months of of like starting to go to market. And on marketing, we didn't really have anything. We used Asana a little bit, but it didn't really. There wasn't that much activity beyond what I was doing. And we recently brought on both a sales team and a marketer, and they immediately got together and came to me within a week of of joining the company and both said the same thing, either HubSpot or Salesforce, which one do you want? Right. It's, and it's interesting that, you know, the way, the way we think about tools and how we sell tools to other companies and so on, you mentioned being able to get into a company early as an advantage. We, we always feel like in that conversation, the advantage to those two companies that those, they feel like the only two options of any like maturing company, yeah. you know, it's like, like the, the sooner that you can like get into those, the, yeah. the less pain that you'll have in the future when you'll inevitably want to go to one of them. That's exactly. It. And, and everyone wants the proverbial uh, single source of truth, right? Yeah. They want, they want to understand a customer's history from the time they engaged with a marketing asset all the way through to sales and then onboarding and success and then like upgrade. So, so you, you went with what HubSpot? We do go to HubSpot. I think of HubSpot as like a big tool that covers a, a lot of big areas, right? So is that your CRM and your email marketing tool and what else? So it's interesting. I, I always I always pay attention when we deal with HubSpot because they're very good at what they do. And I learned a lot from the last sales process at Cardhook. So similar thing. What you'll see HubSpot do is, is all about bundling. So they have a sales tool, a uh, customer support tool, uh, marketing tool, like they have all these different things and then you can buy them in a bundle. And so really what they want you to do is just adopt it for everything. And the pricing is so no brainer that you should just get the whole bundle. And in also, reality- Also like customer support ticketing too, you're using it. Yes, well, here's the thing. Next week on Monday, we have our, cur- our first customer success manager joining. And she's going to have a big decision to make on whether she wants to run customer success and support inside of HubSpot or go with the tool that I like best for that, which is Intercom. Mm, yep. So I, I kind of like to leave it up to the managers of each thing and then basically tell them, here's the deal. If you want HubSpot, we will pay for it. And it's whatever it is, 20 grand a year, but then you're going to use it. So don't, don't come back to me in a month and say, I don't love it. Can we go to something else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's one of those <laughs> yeah. things where you're just making the decision and like, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So covering some of those pieces, email marketing, I'm still on customer IO. Uh, I really like it. They've, they've been really powerful for basically anything we want to do. I really like the way that they, they have set up their interface and capabilities on automations and stuff. Haven't done a lot of really complex stuff for zip message on that front, but I like that it's all there and there's a lot of power yeah. that we can. You can go as far on. as you want there. Yeah. yeah. We, we we have used customer IO up until now, and now the marketing team wants to suck it into uh, HubSpot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I think of when I think of HubSpot. It's like mainly like email marketing, plus they cover all these other bases. Yeah. Look, Microsoft laid out the inevitable path for domination. 
you just get deep enough in with a company. And then whenever there's an innovation, you copy it. It's not quite as good, but it's still a no-brainer to use it because you're already paying for the bundle. And that you can look at look at intercoms like uh, their breadth, how wide they're going, look at hubs, but like this just kind of the obvious path if you want to win and go public and get all the metrics that you need to do that. It's not fun. Email support help desk. I use I think they're bootstrapped. I'm not sure. Uh, help space. So I really like them. I switched from I was a long time through many businesses using Help Scout, which I, I still think are, are great. They're sort of like the go-to for a lot of uh, a lot of companies for, for help desks. I switched to Help Space about a year ago. You know, the main reason I, I really like them is because they put a lot of love into the KB docs. They've got some features there that I, I always felt like that was one of the areas that Help, help Scout was a little bit behind on is the, the managing the KB docs, like the editor, They've got Markdown, which I like, but what I also really like is the ability to easily interlink between docs, which is so huge. Like when you're writing up a, a new KB doc, you got to be able to easily link to the related feature over there. And that was a little bit clunky. And, and so I like seeing this thing happen that you're you're kind of alluding to where you you might launch a look at Help Scout for a sec, right? You're launching a uh, shared inbox for support. But then the way customers actually use it is so closely tied to knowledge base that yeah. all of a sudden you have no choice. You now have to run two products in order to compete because as soon as you link them together, it becomes so much more valuable that if your competitors put them together and you don't, you're, you'll just be, you'll lose every comparison. So we saw that with recharge and subscriptions. And then right next to that, what developed was a customer portal. Because shoppers want to be able to go on and change their subscription. And now every subscription product needs to have a customer portal. And, and we are actually encountering that they also have to have a hosted checkout to, to capture the payment. And they're they're dying because it's too much surface area. And they're looking to us to outsource the checkout. It's kind of funny. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like you know, you, you get a you get your product and you get pulled into potentially something very very closely adjacent. You feel like you have no choice but to do it. Yeah, yeah, totally. The the key piece there also is is the beacon in in the app and Help Scout has this. Help Space also does a good job of this. So that's I sort of intentionally don't do live chat support like like intercom. You don't. I, I like it so much. <laughs> I mean, I I get definitely get the benefit. I've seen the benefit in previous businesses. But I don't like having it there if I'm not going to be live all the time and I'm, I'm not staffing it up. So, But I really like, and I think it's important to offer a beacon where someone's in the app, they need help on this page, they can click here and, and get the doc like embedded in the app. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there you go. A third product for, for, yeah. the, for a company like that. Now you need to you know input notifications in. Yep, yep. What do you do on like uh, metrics? How are you tracking everything and reporting and what are you looking at? So, okay. I'm looking at a product called Grafana. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. I think it's G-R-A-F-A-N-A. -A. Yeah. Grafana, open observability platform. So this is what our engineers take. And I can say, I would like to see a list of merchants, how much they've processed, how much of that is checkout revenue versus post-purchase revenue, what their domain is, and be able to cut that up 
last 24 hours, last one hour, last seven days. I, I want to know that. It tells me growth. It tells me if someone slipped. And if I look at if I look at the past 30 days and I see X number of merchants have processed revenue, and then I go over the seven days and it's much lower, I consider myself, okay, who who dropped off? So that Grafana is what allows us to create a visual layer for non-technical people with all of our data, data stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, this has been such an ongoing running headache for me is, is getting the metric tracking and the tools set up in the way that I need them. This is internal for you or for the customer facing it? Like, no, in, internal. Yeah, okay. in, internal. I'm just seeing what's, go, what's going on in the business. <laughs> I, I feel like a year and a half in, we're finally in a, in a better place in terms of like being able to collect the right data and report it. And it took a surprisingly difficult road to get here. It, everyone loves to say like, oh, just use this or that tool, plug it in and, and quote unquote, it just works. Like, I'm sorry, it doesn't just work. Like it, it requires code. It requires crazy integrations. Okay, so you're never a hundred percent sure if it's accurate. <laughs> you're never no, and that's a that's a big deal. Um, and I'm not just talking about the edges. I mean, things can be way off. And some of these tools, well-established tools, have pretty surprising gaps in their features that can that can cause some issues. All right, so we are now today using. So I still have ProfitWell like plugged in, but I'm mainly using ChartMogul for just tracking like SaaS metrics. I think it's a great tool fantastic interface. We had a lot of road bumps in getting it to report the way that we need to, especially since we're freemium, which ChartMogul had some issues supporting, but their their customer support has been incredibly helpful, like really technical in, in the trenches with us. And that's been great. Mixpanel is the other one that we use. Uh, their Their customer support is also very technical and very, very helpful. Even I, I've since upgraded Mixpanel, but even when I was on, uh, when I was a totally free user, they were giving me some serious, like they spent hours on my support tickets. It was pretty great, and that's that's a. I think I'm really Im- impressed with Mixpanel. The alternative on that one would be Amplitude, which, which seems really good too. I got Mixpanel working, and and it's one of these things. It's like, man, I spent, mm-hmm. I've invested so many hours. Like right, we're, right. we're not leaving. You don't want to touch it. That's right. For folks who aren't that familiar with this stuff, use case for different tools. You probably need one to track your SaaS financial metrics. And that basically comes down to ChartMogul and, and ProfitWell. There's probably several others out there that are worth looking at. But so SaaS metrics like MRR, churn rate, you know, trial, like, like conversion, all this different stuff. And then Mixpanel and Amplitude are, are used for like event tracking and usage and, and how active users are and what types of activities are they doing. And conversion through your activation funnel and things like that. Um, and in both ChartMogul and Mixpanel, we did a ton of work to be able to segment. This is where it gets really dicey and time consuming to really get the reporting right. Is So I finally got it to a point where I can break down all of our graphs based on source of the customer or based on their, the customer's use case for zip message. You know, I can see like, if, if they're a coach, how are they converting compared to if they're just a team u- user? Or if they came from a Google search versus if they came from an affiliate link? Like I can see, uh, like I could break it down that way in both ChartMogul and Mixpanel. On the top of the funnel, like the traffic, still have Google Analytics installed. I still have both the Universal Analytics and the 
GA4 installed. As many people know, universal analytics, like the Google analytics that you have known for many years, that is going away in 2023. They're shutting it down. So they're moving to Google Analytics 4, which is a piece of shit. <laughs> just for the record, <laughs> just be blunt about it. Uh, look, it's it's just terrible. I'm sorry. Like I've I have gone really deep on it. I tried to learn it. I tried to like if this is the future, then I get then I need to learn it. I I did all that. It's it's terrible. The interface, the way that they track, it's just. I still have it there just to get the data, but so I just recommend install some other tool probably sooner rather than later, so that you're not missing out on history. Fathom Analytics is a really great option. I, I actually ended up, uh, unfortunately, guys, if you're listening, sorry, I, I went with, um, I got Plausible installed because they're using ZipMessage too. And I got into oh, a, cool. a good conversation with with those guys. And they, they were also very helpful in, in debugging some of, some of the you know installation issues. Cool. So Jack, that, both, both that, of those are really, really good. Tools. I was going to say, Jack, that is a very good reason to go use your competitor when they're an actual customer of your software. So, you know. Uh, and th- this is actually Jack's, Jack Ellis was talking about yeah. his question about, about the tech stack. So he and yeah. Laura Roder are going to be pumped that we spent the entire podcast on this. <laughs> I should also mention, like, we, we've also built a lot of tracking in our own database and our own app and, and like internal dashboards on stuff. Like we're tracking stuff that is important, like for us. So like, like number of minutes recorded per, per account, like average number of minutes recorded, average, huh. you know. So- for the uh, things that are uniquely zip message. Yeah. And and also like we we have a viral loop. So we have to be able to track like for every user, how many other accounts do they refer on average? And and then how many of those accounts convert to paying customers? And so that's that's a really complicated logic to be able to track. But yeah, I, th- I think we finally nailed it down. Very cool. And look, we we have to give a shout out to the GOAT, the absolute best tool of all, Slack. Slack. Best. The absolute... What, like notifications? No, just everything. I use the hell out of Slack. Oh, yeah. I just admit that I live in Slack and I have started to just go with that reality. And so I have channels set up for, let's say, for all hands. So we do a monthly all hands and I want to make sure I highlight certain things there. So as I see things happening in Slack, I'll just copy a link to that conversation and I just put into an all hands channel. And then when I go do slides for all hands, I have a whole bunch of stuff that happened throughout the month that I can highlight. I do the same thing for investor updates. We brought on a business admin partner, which is like a super admin basically. Um, And she and I have our own channel that I just, I just put, I just put in random thoughts. And then next time we have like a work session that we're working together, we just go there. I've just outsourced memory to Slack. Everything that I, I wish I could remember, I just put it, I just have a place. That That's what I use Notion for, because like Slack, if I throw it in there, like it's probably going to be forgotten <laughs> for me. And, and we we definitely use it for day-to-day chats and, quest- and quick questions and like updates. I made it clear with the team in audience ops and now again in zip message, uh, you know, if it's a question that requires like an, a, a real action from me or someone else, just make it like a comment or something in notion um or send a zip message where it's like where ultimately i i want that in my email inbox like if it's if you need something from me send it in 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 notion so that it's logged in where we're tracking it 
or reply to the zip message conversation because that will send me an email notification and then it's in my inbox and I'll deal with it in, in, a, in a time. You know, like if it's if it's Slack, like I'll see it when I see it, but I'm but I'll, I yeah. might lose it. I, I have an easy time when it's things like all hands. I know I'm going back to that channel. I don't have to think about it. But sometimes I abuse the mark as unread. I, I, I abuse that feature in Slack to make sure that it, I don't something doesn't disappear. And sometimes the mobile app is not as reliable as you want it to be. Sometimes you open it and look and like something will highlight bold at the top and then disappear. And I'm like, shit, <laughs> what What was that? I'll, I'll never see it again. Seeing if there's um, anything else that I'm sort of forgetting about. Like we have a lot of like little tools that we use oh for God, stuff, it's, but um, it's, it's, those it's, are like the big ones, I think. All right, what other, what, what else we got going on here? Yeah, let's get to the other stuff. All right. So John Doherty, our, our friend at Credo, asked about funding and what's changed and more specifically like hiring ahead of revenue versus behind revenue. Yeah. And a little bit of like hiring when you're bootstrapped versus when you're funded. Yeah. Yeah. Because right, some of the other questions are also in a similar vein where they're asking like when to hire your first hire and in what area should it be? How to know when to hire a CFO to keep track of that? So, so a, a lot of it comes out of resource constraints, right? When should I move on from the multiple roles that I'm doing to hire? Should I hire someone for, some, for something that I'm good at or what I'm specifically bad at or what I think is most important or least important? Yeah. All, all that stuff. All right. So a lot of sub questions under hiring here. Let's start with the one like, who do we hire first in the business? That is so an it depends question. I think if I had to boil it down to one piece of advice, or, or at least just in my experience for me, it's been uh, the first hire has always been the person who helps make the product happen. In audience ops, the very first hire was a writer. It was actually, I actually hired three writers at, at, in the very, very beginning because the product is we write articles. So we need writers, right? Like the business wouldn't exist without that. So I, I started there. That's an interesting reveal of, of a bit of bias because you assume that you can just, you can just get customers because you have that confidence. So you're like, I'm not going to have a problem getting customers. I, I have a problem on the delivery of the product well, as my priority. It, it, I guess it's a little bit more like um, my circumstance at the time and the type of business it was. Because in general, like if, I'm, if, if we're literally starting from nothing, if I'm just like a freelancer and I'm trying to start a business, then, then probably that first product creator is going to be me, myself, and just hustle and do it. And, and I, that's actually what I did on zip message. Zip, zip message was, I'll say like the first hire was, was my developer, but, it, but the circumstance was that I, I still owned process kit and I already had a developer relationship actively working on process kit. And what I did was he was maintaining and working on process kit while I went off and did a little side hustle project, building the prototype for zip message. Like I did that myself for about a month. And once, once I was like, oh, there's something here, then I pulled that same developer off of process kit and had him start working with me on, on zip message. You know, that's sort of how that started out, I guess. Yeah. I, I think this is, you know, what, what, what John was asking about, I think is like where there's like a, an, the first split in the road is, are you bootstrapping versus taking outside money? And that has a, you know, black and white impact on 
how to think about hiring, who you're hiring first, and so on. So at Cardhook, it was, I mean, I guess I had the option, like I had some budget to work with, but it made no sense to just start burning money. So it was, you know, let's get a product done first and then let's go try to sell the product. And then it's almost like like this real-time adjustment based on what's necessary. So, okay, now you have customers like, uh-oh, we need customer support because, right, or or after that or before that, it's it's success or something, someone to work with the actual customers unless you want to go work with the customers. And then you have to think, well, I still need more customers. So now I need marketing or sales help. So it really feels like it is like very reality-based. Like what's happening now in the business and what it needs and what it might need a little bit into the future. Whereas the, the funding path is kind of like, well, how do we build a machine that can grow quickly? And we we can't really we can't really mess around. We we can't spend much time like waiting for certain things to happen before we hire the people and put the things in place. Yeah. So it feels like much more of a like a rush. The interesting thing about customer support hires for, for me has been audience ops was weird because it was like a uh, a productized service. So I definitely hired a lot of like account managers who who are probably the equivalent of a customer support rep in a in a SaaS business because they're like customer facing. So let's let's put that aside because it's more of a service business. But Restaurant Engine was really like the last time where I actually felt the pain and the need to pretty quickly in the business hire customer support reps to to handle the 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 influx of emails from customers in my opinion that comes down to like the nature of the product and and the market that you're selling to like the restaurant owners were just so much more needy in their support needs and it was like a, a low leverage support response like if i'm the one just handling the support it's like how do i reset my password it's how do i do these basic things and like, like i'm not learning a lot as the founder by by doing that every day so i needed to get it off my plate but like fast forward to process kit and then zip message which both of them have had hundreds of customers and zip message has has that plus many thousand of of free users too so like i'm kind of surprised at how little of a pain the customer support burden is i don't feel the need to to hire a support rep in the near future there there definitely is customer support questions that come in and i handle them but Oh, the vast majority of those for me are totally insightful. Like I need to get them. I see patterns in those. Right. Um, you don't want that siloed off completely. Yeah. And, and a lot of them in the, in the earlier days have been like, there's a, there's a gap in the product here. There's a gap in the product here. There's a gap in the product, you know, and I kind of needed that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're waiting on, on support also. We, we didn't have someone in support or success. Basically, it was our like salesperson, biz dev, like do everything person that did the support also. And now success feels much more, it feels like it needs to come first. And that is the nature of our sales process. At Cardhook, we were doing free trials and the volume was so high that we we had to have support, you know, as soon as possible. That was actually the first hire outside of the founders and like the founding team, the first person was support because we were, we, we couldn't get away. We, we couldn't think we, we couldn't spend our time on anything other than support. Yeah. Yeah. Like marketing hires, I, I would say I'm definitely hiring more in that area for zip message than I, than I have in previous businesses. And, and I think definitely hiring in general, both on product and marketing 
and I actually just looked at it yesterday while I was preparing this talk, like I'm spending like almost double on marketing expenses, people and marketing spend than I am on, on developers right now. Like being even a tiny bit funded definitely has an impact. You know, <laughs> I probably wouldn't, wouldn't hire this quickly if, if it wasn't for that. Yeah. We've talked about before, like the staircase looking graph of hiring that we had at Cardhook where I, I was always willing to hire a little bit of head of revenue, but not too much, and then let it catch up, hit profitability or very close to it, and then take the next step up. That felt appropriately stressful. It was like, well, we want to push hard, so we're not going to be fully comfortable, but we're not that far from course correcting back toward profitability. Rally it feels absolutely insane compared comparatively. And one of the biggest mental challenges for me was to get comfortable with how uncomfortable it is to spend that far ahead of revenue. And it, you know, it feels nuts. It, fe- yeah. it and, feels and that's where I am too. Like e- even on a different level in terms of funding from from rally, like this this type of mindset is definitely new for me in Zip Message. In in previous ones, like Audience ops was basically profitable the whole way through from start to finish. It, it all the hires came out. It was a productized service, so there was almost every single hire was kind of attached to a piece of our revenue. We we have clients who pay X, and that funds these roles to serve those clients, and, and that's really the model there plus, plus profit. Yeah, Zip Message is still in in startup mode. We're still we're burning through a runway. So yeah, it's it's definitely a mental. I've, I was probably slower in the first eight to 10 months of zip message to like, I was basically still operating like a bootstrapper. And it it wasn't until almost a year in that I started to like kick the spending into gear, being more okay with spending ahead of profitability. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if I don't know if I'll ever actually get over it a- after after having the bootstrap profitable mindset for so long, and you know it's a little bit of like the imposter syndrome thing attached to to the spend because I remember the way I thought of people in my position now, and you raise a bunch of money and you start spending it a lot of it. Uh, and it's all relative because I look at my competitors and I'm like, you raised a billion dollars and you are you're yeah. burning through money. But in in our own way, we're doing the same thing. And it kind of doesn't matter as long as you manage to get to the goal. The the, the stress of it is very, very different. And what what I really don't I don't like, but it is a, an inevitable reality, is that you are always thinking about financing. You're always thinking about when do we run out of money? What do we need to do to raise more money before that happens? What do we need to do today so that we're in a good position by then to raise more money so that we don't... The way I would describe it is it feels like an inevitable march towards success. The only thing that can stop us is running out of money. That's how I honestly feel about this business. And running out of money just looms very large in my mind because I'm like, that's the enemy to vanquish. Yeah, yeah. For anyone running a productized service business, I know some of the people listening might be, I I just wanted to speak to, because I'm not running this type of business today anymore. But when I was, I definitely learned a few things like the hard way when it came to hiring. Um, I wanted to share it real quick. So again, this is specific to a to like a service based, like a productized service type of model. I think SaaS is, is different where, but 
in the service, the more that you can tie the spending on whatever contractors or part-time employees to like a variable that that goes up and down with the with the demand with the service load, the the better. But what I mean is like early on we were growing a lot, and then I converted some some of these variable contractors to full time salary employees. And then when our revenue graph got pretty bumpy, it it got pretty scary because you know the the expenses stayed the same. The advice there is, and I also don't advocate for paying by the hour. I much prefer. Like I like to sell a productized service and, and I like to buy services like a productized service. So so a lot of the contractors that I work with, even still through this day, I like to just agree on here, here's a monthly retainer, just a set flat fee. Right. Here are the expectations. And and here are the expectations. And but in a service business, I like that flat fee to be per deliverable if if possible. So like every widget that we service involves this, this, and this. So every person that I hire to do this, this, and this, we we agree that like $300 per this is what was what we're going to pay. It's just a question of how many of those widgets you're going to service every month. And and you want to go up and down. You want to you want to be able to, you know, ratchet that up and down as as the, you know, because that's the other big learning with a productized service as you get into these higher price points, like higher revenue per account. It's great because you can grow a really fantastic recurring revenue business very quickly with just 10 to 20 to 30 customers. The downside is that churn can take some wild swings. Yes. Yeah, big you swings. know, you right. could, you could like lose three customers in a week and you just churned like 10 K MRR. Like, right. And um, and then, and then shedding one or two people on the team is, is not easy because you've trained them. You like them. You want to keep them all these other, that's when it gets tough. It is important to acknowledge that labor costs are determined by the business. Like you get to decide how much you're spending on labor. It, it's just, it's not like Europe. You know, American companies can really just decide to just cut workforce. You don't need all these reasons and that much time, which is important for the business. But that does not mean that it's easy. And it does not mean that you'll actually have the stomach to have those swings or that you'll conclude that it's smart to do that because it also hurts. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And I mean, that's that's why in, in that business, the service business, we really optimized the whole business around hiring people who are not only comfortable, but they seek out roles like that. Like they they want to be freelancers with a with a really steady, high quality retainer. Um, and that's that's what made that really work well. I yeah. think. Clear trade-off. Cool, man. Well, we got we got a bunch more questions, but I think I think we're out of time. It's Friday. I got a few more things to finish up before I call it a day. I don't know if you got any good plans, but in, in, enjoy the weekend. No, I'm just going to hang out, and then I'm going to head out to Colorado next week. I don't know if we'll be able to record next week, but I, I will be back on Friday morning, so we'll see. Uh, okay, cool. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for the questions, folks. Keep them keep them rolling in. You know, hit us up on on Twitter, and uh, then we'll actually know what to do on this on this podcast. All right. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Later, folks.